politics, sports, entertainment, pop culture. It's all fair game here. Somewhere in the city of Toronto, two brains are about to collide. What will remain is the gist of it. Here now are Bill Hayes and Don Landry. Don, the NHL trade deadline came and went, and, well, not much happened. And happened. And happened. Proving that I am indeed a dweeb, I watched a lot of it, even PVR'd it. I came away with a whole lot of admiration for the people who put the shows together, the preparation involved, the ad-lib abilities that some of them had. Not all, mind you. A lot of the talking heads could use a refresher course in what shows like these are all about. Let's say it's entertainment, not brain surgery. I enjoyed the fact that TSN host James Duthie was aware of that fact, and he also was aware of the fact that nothing was happening and had fun with it. He was saying what all the viewers were saying. Boring. The irony is Sportsnet didn't do that, and because of that, they were, well, more boring. The NHL trade deadline has become a television event in this country, for better or worse. And yesterday, it was for worse. There were very few trades, and at the end of the day, it was much ado about nothing. But the league does need to have a day like this. It needs the hype. It needs the audience. So I have a suggestion to make that day better. The problem is the cap. Trades pretty much have to be dollar in, dollar out, and that's very difficult to do. In the offseason, though, teams are allowed to go up to 10% over the cap, providing they're at the cap when the season starts. So... Why not do that after the trade deadline? Allow teams to go a percentage above it, say 5-10%. Teams could also dip below the floor by that same amount. It could work. And certainly as a television event, it would make it much more exciting and therefore more interesting for fans of all ages. I kind of hear what you're saying there. We do need something to uh, act as a catalyst to get us going back to the good old days when you could just trade whatever the heck you wanted. But Bill, before I get into that, I'm having some difficulty with something you said near the beginning. Which was? Of your little story there, that you PVR'd portions yes. of this. Why on earth would you PVR portions of it? Have you, in fact, watched them since? Was it something you wanted to watch a second time? Why would you PVR this? <laughs> what have you done with that, is what I'm asking. I've actually, I actually PVR'd both TSN and Sportsnet because I thought maybe there'd be something big happening, and I would like to, I'd like to see both of their reactions. All right. That's really why I did it. And to answer your All other right. question, I have not gone back. All right, good. Well, uh, but I do agree. We need something to get us going. What did we have, 16 trades yesterday, I think, or, or thereabouts? Yeah, something like that. But, um, but and mostly 16 nobody's. The year before. I know, well, and 16 the year before. Mm -hmm. Mostly nobody's. The year before was different. 35 trades, 51 players. But again, we, we just don't see the really big moves. And when we do, they seem to happen before the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. When you think of the Leafs in particular, I mean, you know, the FNUF trade was a full month and a bit before the trade deadline. Um, going back to Owen Nolan, which might be the... Would that be the previous trade deadline area deal? I don't think that was that a deadline. That, I think it was that a week was before. It was, That's okay. what I'm saying. So, right. When was the last time the Maple Leafs made a, a deadline deal? That was huge. On the day where you... I mean, you go back to Wendell Clark, Matthew Schneider in 1994. <laughs> is, that, is that it? I, I may be forgetting something. There are a lot of deals, but they're not very big because, unfortunately, you can't just be... The GM who thinks big and goes, I'm going to get that superstar and that superstar, and I'm going to only trade you know, this much and a couple of draft picks, and damn the torpedoes on the money. 
Sure, bring your big contract in. It's cool. So they're very restricted when it comes to the money. Many teams are, like the Maple Leafs, are near the cap, and so they can't make these moves. So I agree with you. Whether your solution is the right one, I don't know. I'm there has good. to be something. I'm not though. good with math, but we need something to really get this thing going and to bring back the creativity and the... Uh, the swashbuckling on the high seas kind of feel that GMs could have had a few years ago when they were unfettered by any kind of mathematical restrictions. But well, you see, you've thrown me now. I'm I'm thinking swashbuckling, and now I'm looking at Brian Burke in a kind of a mutiny on the bounty uniform, and that just doesn't work at all. He's got a puffy shirt. I don't want to be a pirate. Hey, you know what? Everybody missed the biggest swap yesterday. I Which tried was? to spice up NHL trade deadline yesterday. I swapped an empty Tim Hortons cup for a free donut. Wow, you Here's do the live kicker. on the edge. Here's the kicker. I didn't pay for the coffee in the first place. Wow. Makes me one of the great general managers in the history of roll up the rim. This is the gist of it. Basically, what I think about the NHL trade deadline then is it's like Angelina Jolie's right leg. In some ways, very different in others, okay? <laughs> it's it's the same in that it's exposed yeah. <laughs> a yeah. lot, um, but not nearly as attractive. There's, no. there's no. where the disconnect is, okay? Um, let's talk about the Maple Leafs and no real moves made. The Marlies are bolstered for now, and, uh, and who knows, maybe this Ashton kid down the road is a good power forward for the parent club, but... Mm -hmm. Um, maybe it's a good thing that uh, Brian Burke decided not to go fishing completely for Rick Nash. After all, he, as it turns out, he might be able to do that in the summer anyway. Yeah, he will. Um, but I guess he just felt that, I think two things here. One, uh, that the deals that were, were, were offered by Columbus or asked for just if they included Jake Gardner, again, nobody wants to trade that young defenseman right now. But beyond that, maybe Brian Burke also feels... If I give up too much right now, adding Rick Nash to the team doesn't make us a whole hell of a lot better in the near and uh, distant future necessarily because of what I need to give up, if that makes sense to you. You know what I'm saying? I, I think he wants to big picture this thing, and he wants to continue to, to be as patient as he possibly can. And, and he's shown before, he'll wait it out until he can get the right deal. Well, I, that, all of that's true. I, I think what makes a Rick Nash deal even more difficult for Columbus and for any other team he's going to is that kind of contract is so restrictive. It's $7.8 million as a cap hit over the next six seasons. Basically meaning that you've decided that Rick Nash is the one move you're going to have for six years. Yeah, That's tough. That's a tough decision to make. It's not so tough when you're Columbus, when he's the face of the franchise, when it's a, a franchise that has very, had very little success and has to have something to bring people in. It's a whole lot different when you're a team like the Leafs right. that has other guys that you have to pay pretty big money to. And uh, you're, you're stuck in in a situation where you got to hold on to him for maybe even past his best best buy date. I think the, uh, the real reason, though, that uh, Brian Burke didn't make any big deals and that you didn't see a lot of them yesterday is that general managers keep getting smarter. If, you know, if we can look at, at a, a deal and kind of get the ascertain the, the value of a player so can they they can they can also figure out what a draft pick is worth and they're learning although it's taken them quite a bit of time how to deal with the cap the cap is a big part of all of this it's a huge difference in the way hockey's been managed since uh, the, the lockout year you can't anymore overvalue a player the way you win is to have a guy who you're paying less than his real value. 
That's why a Rick Nash is so tough to move. He's got for that to be a good deal for you. He's got to be worth more than seven point eight million. That's tough to do. I think Brian Burke puts a lot of eggs in the Marley basket right now. Yeah. Going ahead here, they're first in their division. Mm-hmm. They're looking really good. They're going to get bolstered by, you know, well, uh, Ashton somewhat, a little bit. Yeah. They may look at if the Leafs miss the playoffs and you know Jake Gardner goes down. How is that a boon for the Marlies? Look, they've got a shot to go deep in the playoffs. If they go deep in the playoffs. Hey, what if they win a Calder Cup? Brian Burke has proof in his pudding. Got lots of young players down the farm that we brought in. Some John Ferguson brought in. It's paying off. Look at this. Future's bright. This will be big for him if the Marlies can show this spring that that they've got talent and they've got uh, the wherewithal to go deep because it will, I think, vindicate him a little bit. It will at least endorse his longer-term plan. Well, Carter Ashton, the guy, that, the one guy they did bring in, they brought yeah. in a... a, a, a a depth defenseman as well, uh, Mark Fraser. But Carter Ashton's a guy who is exactly what they were looking for. He's big, 6'3", he's 220 pounds, something like that, plays a bigger game and has some skill. He's not necessarily a guy who's going to be a, a, a huge game changer, but one of the things they keep looking for is size. they got David Steckel, who's playing all the time. He's absolutely useless, but he has one thing that he's good yeah, at. Yeah, really good at. Well, he's, he's no, the thing he's good he at is, is size. You're, oh, you're no, he's face off. Yeah. He's not, he's, when you look at the percentages, he's not that much better than everybody else. He's better, yeah, but it's not, not the big difference they'd have you believe. And I can tell you, I watch that guy game in and game out, and I wonder how in God's name he has a job in the NHL. He's awful. Watch him. Terrible. But the thing is, He's big, well, when you, and that's what they're looking for. When you when you when you put the sell job on it like that, how can I not watch him, Bill? Maybe I'll do as you did with NHL trade deadline PVR. Is there a Steckle cam? Can I, you know, if I go to MapleLeafs.com, can I just if there's a Steckle cam, him? pray to God the lens is broke. Hey, you know, here let's, uh, let's wrap up our NHL trade deadline doc here. Talk by by looking at Vancouver. I think it's an important thing to look at. Mm-hmm. They trade Cody Hodgson to the Buffalo Sabers and they get Zach Cash. And I wonder if this is going to be a, Vancouver's got a very good team poised again for a deep run in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. And one of the knocks on them last year was that they weren't tough enough. But I don't know. It's Cash Cashin's nuts enough. Remember, he got suspended yeah. in the NHL uh, twenty games for a, a, oh, he's a, a tough ruthless kid. neutral zone and he's got some skill. Hit. He's got some skill too. So, yeah. I, but I don't know. Maybe he's just too young to help them out. But but uh, the Sammy Paulson addition too uh, might be able to take them different. But they they were guy they were a team that needed to make some kind of a play here going into the playoffs because I don't think their fans would have would have would have thought that hey same group as last year good we're we're fine. Uh, don't discount Mark Andre Grandiani by the way the defenseman they got from Buffalo as well. He's a very good offensive player and again a depth move. But when you get to uh, as far as they want to go in the NHL playoffs, you're going to need guys like that. I think it's great for them. Cody Hodgson's a guy that. Uh, he has a pretty good future, but there's really some question whether he's ever going to be a number one center. Yeah. And if that's the case, they made a great deal. Let's continue our discussion on the NHL trade deadline, and we'll get to the end of this real quick. No, no, no. So- Here's my aim for this, Bill, is for us to do 10 or 12 hours of talk about oh, the NHL geez. trade deadline coverage. Why not? Let's match it. That's up to you. You want to do one more little Yeah, right, yeah we'll I think we can probably go a little quicker than they did. God bless them. It's too bad. I uh, they're to still say. trying to catch up on their sleep, by the way. Um, okay. <laughs> I caught up on my sleep during oh, the yeah, Absolutely. Everybody else did. <laughs> Those poor buggers. Oh, they had to keep <laughs> I going. Know. I sympathize. Now, someone's sympathizing with Scott House, and I don't know what an awful lot of people are. He's the general I manager am. of the Columbus Blue Jackets. You are. Why? 
Well, he's getting a lot of heat, isn't he? Why? Because uh, he had the temerity to say uh, at a media conference yesterday, um, by the way, Rick Nash asked us for a trade. Mm -hmm. What did he say? It was like a month, a month and a half ago, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, is it? I mean, people seem to think this is a problem. Oh, my goodness. A general manager should never, ever do that to his player. Well, he's doing it to a player who isn't going to be his player. Mm -hmm. For long, and and he probably knows that we've as we've talked about it. Rick Nash is going to get moved in the summer when it becomes a no little question. bit easier to do so. Correct. All I care about is, and you know, damn the code. By the way, the, the, the hockey code, and we'll talk about that in a second here. But is it the truth? That is all I care about. If Rick Nash did ask for a trade, and I haven't seen or heard any denial from his camp, if it's the truth. Fine. That's what I want to know. I always just want true information, don't you, Bill? So if Scott Housen did that and it's the truth, I'm fine with it. I, off his back. It's all about the code, though, Don. And, and, and yeah, the code in the NHL is probably something that's a little outdated. And, you know, it's an us-against-them mentality with the players against the management, against the media. Yeah. All of this is, is a big part of it. I, I, I'm not so sure how I feel about uh, Scott Housen announcing that Rick Nash came to him. It's not a to me. It's not a deal breaker one way or the other. I kind of think more of Rick Nash for doing that because that franchise has been abysmal from day one, and uh, he he was quiet. He kept with it. He's been nothing but a pro the entire time he's been there. He's obviously seen it. It's not getting any better. As a matter of fact, it seems to be getting worse. He's not getting any younger, and he wants to win. I, I mean, you know, I see no problem with him asking for. Uh, a trade out of there. I also see no problem with him being called on it. I, to me, it's not it's not a big deal. I mean, right. I, I agree with that. I agree with all of that. And so if Housen and the Blue Jackets are getting heat because they have, without the information, without knowing that Nash asked for a trade, because they've created a situation that's made it uncomfortable for their star well, and, well, and created Nash's distractions. Nash's agent did that too, though, because Nash's agent tweeted on Saturday, hey, listen, he better be out of here by Monday. Right. Well, you know, come on. But, but, it but it goes the, both ways. But, but I mean, you construct this whole scenario where, hey, they floated Rick Nash out there and then apparently came to him and said, would you lift your no trade clause? And then this whole storm starts. It's created by management. Well, in fact, it may not be the case. Again, if this is the truth, Rick Nash created it. And again, no problem. He's been a stalwart soldier Absolutely. in a very bad situation for a very long time. So I don't have a problem with him saying, it's time for me to move on. I'd really like to be a part of a winner, and you guys have your heads up your arses. Yeah. And I have no problem with Houston saying, this is the way it went down. If, again, it's the way it went down. That's all I care about is get me from point A to point B on the story. Here's the thing that I, I think gets forgotten in this. I've been to Columbus. It's an Ohio State town. There's over a million people living there, which is kind of surprising when you think about it. Uh, it's the only NHL city in Ohio, although it's the third biggest behind Cincinnati. I'm not, it may even be bigger than Cincinnati, but it certainly isn't uh, considered as big as Cincinnati, and, and uh, Cleveland's much bigger. This is their one major franchise except for Ohio State, right? It's a right. big deal for them. Sure. They've never had the chance to have a really good team. From day, Doug McClain was abysmal, just a disaster. The, how this guy has a career in television telling general managers how they should be doing their job is unbelievable because all he proved is he doesn't. But having said that, the deal here is they've been bad. The fans still come out. 
They deserve something better. The fact that Rick Nash wants out, to me, is a bigger damnation of what's been going on there. This guy has been loyal. He's been there all along. He's been their best player since the day he got there. And once he says he wants out, that's indicative to me that something major has to change there. I, I would think it, I'd get rid of both Housen, the president, a guy named Mike Priest, everybody else, and start from square one. And, and say, Rick, hey, and Nash, I'd say, hey, dude. Rick, look. <laughs> get rid of everybody. Well, Nash wants out because even if, even if they do that, you know, they're not going to be good for another three or four years. They're by far the worst team in the league. By far. You know what? If you had no problem with Ray Bork being traded from the Boston Bruins to the Colorado Avalanche to get a chance to win a Stanley Cup, then I don't think people should have a problem with Rick Nash being traded to a contender to win a Stanley Cup, too. It's Don Landry and Bill Hayes, and you're getting the gist of it. Don, I'm going to confess. I'm not as much into curling as you are. I know you curl religiously. You... Nobody is, Bill. Nobody well, is I know into you're... curling as I am. But, you know, I got to say, every year around this time, I watch the Scotties, then I watch the Briar, and I love it. I And I, I've played it, so I do understand how much more difficult it uh, it is than it appears. It's you know, it looks yes. so easy, but it's not, as we both know. Right. Uh, but there's an element to it, too, especially, well, it, only the Scotties, frankly. Uh, it's pretty sexy. <laughs> it really say. is. <laughs> yeah, the, the Briar, yeah. not so much. But, uh. but I mean, I can't help but look at some of the women on there and go, wow, that's a great look. Yeah, well, they, they've gotten younger and younger. Uh, um, I, I do believe, I mean, you look at the, the Ontario team, uh, Tracy Horgan, she's 25. She looks 16, to tell you the truth. Right, but, she I mean, does look very young. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the women. Oh, you got Kim Dolan, on the other hand, who, who played her 100th game in her last Scotties, and she's 52 or something like that. So you can run the range. But um, they have cultivated a bit of a sexier, a more appealing kind of uh, of of an athlete. Oh, it's working curling. very well. And, and, and from the guy standpoint too, I will tell you this: the ladies love, and they're going to curl again in the Briar coming up. The team from Northern Ontario, Brad Jacobs and mm -hmm. and 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 his teammates, they're good looking guys who work out all the time. They're in shape, and both the men and, and the curling? women, yes, because well, that's the other thing that people don't know. If you're if you're sweeping front end. Like it's a massive amount of hard work. It is, it's and you very and, and the better, the more in shape you are, the, the better you you can you can affect. Oh, every game uh, the path a of a rock. There's no question. Absolutely. It's a workout. They yeah. are really working hard. But let's so, go back so to the, the, the women. Yeah, I know the, the women. The women love them, and they and you know the guys are wearing tighter pants and tighter shirts. And guess what? The women are too. The women used to wear kilts, and then they'd wear like bulky, I like the warm. kilts. Don't get me now wrong. The kilts were nice. These, I know they've got very tight pants now, and mm -hmm. they're doing that because you know, sure, they want to look sexy on TV, mm -hmm. as do the guys, and it's good for the game. You see a cute as a guy, you see a cute girl out there, you want to watch Kelly Law. Years ago, kind of got me hooked into into women's curling. Who is this girl? She's yeah. very cute. And then you start. I was watching anyway, but you know, I, I will admit that there was a, a certain uh, lure to that. There's no question, and it does bring in. I'm I'm sure some numbers. The other thing I'd say about curling, and I'm going to ask you because you're much closer to it than I am, but I get the sense that women can curl pretty much as well as men. I mean, I've seen bond spiels. Men always win, but it's closer than you think because it's really a game of strategy, correct? Well, not just. I mean, uh, the guys are really good at, uh, at, at, at the harder weight takeout. So women are getting better at it. But mm -hmm. to, the guys just physically can sweep. And the women will admit this too. I hate, I hate that this is going to sound sexist, but I think it's just uh, the reality of it. The mm -hmm. guys are bigger and stronger, so their sweeping can affect the rock a little bit. They might have, I won't say they have but more of an eye of the tiger. But is that big a difference? 
Oh yeah, really? Eh? Oh okay. god, yeah. To, okay. to hold because from eighty-five feet away, if you hit a rock, you, you're aiming for a specific spot on a rock. If you're trying to right. knock it up on an angle or whatever, and it, if you miss it by half an inch, sometimes that's the difference between making a shot and blowing the shot. And you can hold a rock straight if you can really sweep hard, or you can drag it farther. But doesn't on a that just, just tell you how, how much ice to take? I mean, women can can still make that shot. They just have to yeah, take a no, little and, more and, ice. And they're getting, but just by and large, the guys are just still a little bit better at that. They're, okay. they're, they're better at that. But but women are, are very good. I mean, But I still have arguments with guys at the club all the time. They go, oh, I think we could beat a women's team at the Scotties. And like, no, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. They, they, they would, they'd re-pebble the ice with us, but... Um, oh, for sure. They it's would. fun to watch. I watch it a lot. I, I can't stop watching curling. I can't stop playing every chance I get. Uh, it really does get into your blood like anything else. Is it any different than somebody who loves soccer or who loves hockey or who loves No question. It, it absolutely. Uh, but, but one of the interesting things about curling is, and, and actually, maybe I'll sit down and watch a couple of games with you uh, with the uh, Briar coming up just to get the sense of how an end plays out. Yeah. You know, like I, I've seen people go, well, I don't want to see the first four rocks. Yes, you do. Yeah. It sets up the whole end. It does. It Absolutely. Does. But you've got to figure out, okay, well, if I do this, what, there's so many different yeah. permutations, so many different things that can happen every end. It's fascinating. That um, I see how Heather Nedwin uh, from Alberta does in the world. So can, she is just a cutie patootie. She used to curl as uh, Heather Godperson. She was on Kathy King's team when she was young. She was always cute, very animated, very emotional, and yeah. she remains that. How could you not root for her? And uh, during the week, uh, she she gained some infamy in the curling world for uh, saying shit balls into her microphone. It was live, and yeah. immediately on Twitter, there's a tag balls, and it turns to sugar balls. And some people are now taking to calling her sugar balls. I don't know how much she likes that, but I uh, like the idea that sugar balls represents Canada. I mean, you know, other than maple balls, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, we could call her Timbit. Newsflash, the wealthy are different than we are. I have a new study to talk about here, co-opted by Toronto's Rotman School of Business and the University of California at Berkeley, and it says the wealthy are different than we are in that they are more likely to cheat, lie, and break the law. Yes, well, isn't that what led to the whole economic catastrophe of 2008 and other economic catastrophes before? They ran, they say, a battery of tests on a 1,000 people. In results from seven separate studies, they found a consistent tendency among those they termed upper class to be more likely to break the law while driving, take valued goods from others, lie in negotiations, cheat to increase their chances of winning a prize, and endorse unethical behavior at work. No... I'm not sure they needed a study, Bill, especially when it comes to traffic violations. Other than cabbies, who are in a traffic category all under themselves, True. I can tell you with reasonable certainty that every time I witness some garbage maneuver on the roads around me, it's usually some jag-off in a jag, or an Escalade, or something of that sort. Except once, as an aside, Bill, I did see someone in a smart car driving like an idiot. Wait a second, that's a Mercedes brand, isn't it? (laughs) In one test involving throws of an electronic dice, researchers rigged computers to allow only low scores. Participants were told that those getting higher scores would have more chances to win the $50 cash. They then tracked who lied about their results and found that people in a higher social class displayed higher levels of cheating and more positive attitudes toward greed. Gordon Gecko said it. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Yeah, well, how can this in any way, shape, or form be a bulletin? 
I mean, <laughs> come on. You know, what's astonishing to me is we've come to accept all of this. You know, greed really is good. You know, I look at a movie like uh, <laughs> like uh, Wall Street and I go, yeah. well, they're obviously making fun of it. Today, that's what everyone wants to be. Gordon yeah. Gecko. It's insane. Um, I, I will say this. Cheating is something that whatever whatever your, your economic class is, people will do. I, I, I'm hesitant to say that because someone has a lot more money than anybody else, it means that they're more likely to cheat. However, I will say this. I do believe it's more likely they have cheated on something else, uh, yeah. like, say, taxes or something along those lines. Um, insider trading is a great example of the very same thing. You know, hey, look. We can't possibly get caught. Let's do it. How many times has that happened? I don't know. But I do th- I do think that because it works so often, it's going to continue. I wonder if it just says more about human nature generally. Uh, human nature paired with availability of opportunity, if of you course. will. Because at a lower level, I mean, look, at I'm pretty sure I must have stole a, a stack of sticky pads from the office at some point or a pen here and there. And I am forever, I will admit now. I don't even know if it is actually stealing, though. I'll take the little shampoos and soaps when I'm at a hotel so that they'll replenish it the next time. Sure, I'm taking they them home. expect it. But, you know, so then, then the opportunity as you go higher in the world of business as your standing increases to points where you might be involved in trading and the lure of insider trading is there. The more... There is available. I'm wondering if it, if 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 the notion to take it, it just doesn't seem like it's as big because you're far removed from the days where you were taking a pen. Then you know, then maybe it's a five hundred dollar tax uh, dodge, it and then could be it becomes more and yeah. more and more, and and the platform goes up. But I, I do believe there is a sense of entitlement permeating society. It's not just those who are richer, though. No, I, people are moaning and complaining constantly when they don't get exactly what they want when they want it, and someone's to blame. So they they take great uh, strides here. Actually, in the, uh, in but the, the study to say at the end, don't really paint everybody. Yeah, of course, with one you know, I'd like to know. I really would like to get some kind of a grant to put tests like this to somebody because you can make a test, you can change a test to look like anything. But to me, that test with the dice, that's really about winners. That's about people going, I don't want to be a loser. Right. And that's a whole different issue about lying or cheating because none of us wants to be a loser. I hate to say this for all of those people, but. This isn't just your world. The rest of us are in it, too. Don, the Oscars were this past weekend, and as always, quite the extravaganza. I liked Billy Crystal. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. He got the go- show going, kept it moving. Really, that's all you can ask for. Ah, no, no. Oh, I like Billy. I, I've always liked Billy. I think, you he know. used to be good, Bill. Oh, let's no stop with that. Longer. The guy I'd like to see get the gig is Jimmy Fallon. I don't know how you feel about him. I think he is wow. getting better and better and he better. He is getting better. I'll and give you that. And, and the, the numbers he puts together for his TV show, for his live post-Super Bowl uh, show, he did this great opening. Uh, to Adele's Rolling in the Deep called Please Don't Go to Sleep where he's going through the streets of Indianapolis. I'd like to see him get a shot at it. The show itself almost uh, was, what's the word I'm looking, anticlimactic because of what happened on the red carpet with Sasha Baron Cohen and Ryan Seacrest. I don't know whether you saw it. He's got a movie coming out, The, the Dictator. 
there had been, uh, well, the belief was he wasn't going to even be allowed to show up for the Oscars. At the, at the last minute, the uh, Academy decided to uh, relent and allow him to come. He ended up on the uh, red carpet. He talks to Ryan Seacrest. He has a an urn, which he says has the remains of Kim Jong-il, and spills it all over Seacrest. You may or may not find that funny. Certainly, you can't find it all that surprising. That's what he does. What was really funny was how Seacrest could not let go of it. This is a guy who, how many different live shows has he done? And this was the first time something really, really threw him off. Every time anyone after that came up and asked him what was going on, he could not get past it. And it was fascinating to watch. To me, that was the highlight of the entire evening. Okay. I didn't watch a lot of the red carpet stuff. I, I couldn't care less what goes on on the red carpet. That would have been fun. I wish I had seen that. I like Sasha Baron Cohen. I think he's a very funny dude. He's, he's an odd dude. Uh, and he said that during one of those um, insipid montages they forced on us about actors talking about what makes a great movie. And he had said something about, uh, I like uh, to you know make movies that I think I'd like to watch. And I like to watch some very strange things. He does. And, and so... I, I appreciate what he does. His movies do make you uncomfortable at times, oh, but they're very incredibly. funny. So and they can be. Yeah, I, I think so. Anyway, so I, I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, there are some people who show up every year that um, you know, you kind of go, "That's great." They add a touch of class, dignity, or humor, or whatever. Emma Stone was very funny. Uh, she always is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Angelina Jolie thing. I mean, how can you ignore that? What was going on there? I thought, wow, she's standing at the uh, microphone quite provocatively and oddly there. And people are, woo! And then I see the red carpet photos and she's doing the same thing. Yeah, well, so she's trying to sell. But she's nuts. You think so? Oh, she's been nuts as long as, long as I've known her. Well, I haven't really known her. <laughs> but, oh, really? No. You're no. holding out, Bill. No. You but, are holding out, sir. But, I, but really, I, I mean... She's one of those people I, I look at and I just question. It makes me think, question Brad Pitt, to tell you the truth, because I think she's on a whole different planet. Maybe that's what he likes. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I find her to be really odd. Did I tell you about Meryl Streep? This is oh. what I have to bring up. Did I not tell you this? What did she do when she wins? She did she exactly old, like you oh said. Oh, my me. God. Is it, but no, here's the you, thing. You Come on. serious. Little old me. Oh, God. She just made oh, sick. But it was true. No one. Who Did you really think she was going to win? Yes. I thought she was going to win because... Because she had only won two out of 17 or something. I went, you know what? She doesn't deserve to win because all she's doing is pretending she's Margaret Thatcher. Big whoop-de-doo. This is The Gist of It. Exciting and new. With Hayes and Landry. Come aboard. We're expecting you. Now, I don't know if I could win an Oscar with this, or anyone could win an Oscar. I couldn't win an Oscar for this, no. But I have an idea. I've been thinking about this for a while. I remember you poo-pooed my whole idea of uh, the space oddity, uh, stage show, or the musical. But just I just want you to keep an open mind on this. All right. I'd like to see them revisit. It's high time. It's high tide that we brought back the love boat. Love yes. Boat. Don't yeah. you think the time is right for... Look at they. They revamp everything, whether they, they do. do it on stage, they do a major motion picture, mm-hmm. or they do a TV series. Charlie's Angels didn't work out. But you know what? They just For didn't. good reason. It was crap. They didn't, they didn't do it very well. But Love Boat is something that I want back. The time is right. I want to return to a time where it was possible for a guy like Jamie Farr to passionately kiss Heather Locklear on the Lido deck. 
Where could that happen? On what show could Jamie Farr possibly get, I think at the time, a 26-year-old Heather Locklear? I think it could happen just on the love boat. We need that kind of fantasy. We need that fantasy. We need... That's a fantasy. Oh, that's a fantasy. We need that kind of stepping out of our harsh realities of the day. And I have gone so far as to bring you the cast of my love boat, major motion picture or TV show. I don't care what you want to do. Julie, the the cruise director, I want Aaron Carpluck, who played Erica on Being Erica. And I okay. you know, I think she'd be terrific, mm-hmm. but for you, I'm willing to go with Rachel McAdams, okay? I think it's funny you say that. Rachel McAdams is exactly where I was going to go. She would be very good in that role. I think Paul Rudd would be a good gopher. I'd like Paul Rudd in there. If you can come mm-hmm. up with another one, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to hear this out. Doc, who else but Will Ferrell? Now, he doesn't look like Bernie Coppell, but I don't really, you don't need to necessarily, okay? I will forgive him for Bewitched. And put him in another remake. Maybe I should rethink this, actually. <laughs> Here's where I'm going to change things up here. Those racists on the original Love Boat. Oh, the black man has to be the bartender and the captain's the white guy. I'm switching that. Uh-oh. I want Don Cheadle as the captain. I think he might be pretty good. Be pretty good. Or if not, let's try for Danny Glover. I'm sure that he'd be up for it. And Michael Cera as the bartender. Oh. These are the... No? no see it. All right. I see Michael Cera... Um, more as Gopher to tell you the truth. Yeah, that would work right. for me. I, Paul Rudd behind the bar instead, or would you go with somebody? Paul, different? I think Paul Rudd is the captain. Wow. Yeah, I, I like Paul Rudd a lot. You know, I have I to say, I mean, we're, we're we're disagreeing on casting choices here, but I'm yeah. very pleased that you're buying into the concept. Yeah, at least no, a I think. Bit I, here. Well, what I like about the idea is, I mean, shows like that, that ensemble cast idea. It's yeah. it's a great idea for seeing people you haven't seen in years. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Shecky Green. Remember those days? You'd see in those like days, Shecky yeah, Green you would, or like Harvey Corman or something. We don't have we don't have any great variety shows anymore, oh. and we don't have any shows for those Hollywood has-beens. And and sometimes you need to see them again just to get them out of the gutter or wherever they are. Um, you want Shannon Doherty walking up the gangplank and saying, "Oh my God, Shannon Doherty, where has she been? Uh, we need a vehicle for this." Company. I got to tell you, Shannon Doherty wasn't where I was going. <laughs> I don't want that quite Jenny Garth. Oh, Jenny Garth. Yeah. I'm I'm in. All right. We've got the concept. We're just agreeing on casting. We'll figure it out and we'll have this nailed down. What I want you to do, some homework for next week. Sure. Because I want to keep this kind of a project going. Next week, I want to talk about how we would represent Gilligan's Island. Do you have a whole lot of interest in the origin of words? Mm, In what? Context. Where did the word context come from? I'm not so, sure. So, yes, I guess I do. Okay. Yeah. Well, the question is, where did the word dude come from? Like, dude. From the dude, you know? Like, hey, dude, who stole my, where's well, my car? That kind of thing. It, dude, pre- it dude. predates the Jeff Bridges, Big Lebowski it does, thing. The, but, the, but he was the dude. He was the he dude. He is yeah. the dude. Um, yeah, but seriously, do you know where it came from? Because no. no one seems to know. No. I, you know, I, now there's a word, by the way, for people who check out where uh, the origin of words comes from. They're, they're called etymologists. I am not one. Um, my mother always told me, learn Latin because you'll learn the, you know, where words came from. Didn't take for me. Uh, and frankly, in that particular context, if you'll pardon, yeah. uh, I didn't really care. But dude is one of the interesting ones. No one seems to know. It could be from the German for Dudenkopf. You know what a Dudenkopf is? No. Blockhead. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Or how do you do? Somehow right. from Broadway or maybe even from yeah. uh, vaudeville before that, it was a, uh, a word that 
might have come out of that. No yep. one really seems to know. But dude, just thought I'd throw it out there. Dude, where are you from? And if you're the word, you don't know. I like that. I, I like. I think again, maybe a weekly feature. We start looking at words, where they came from, why they're there. Are they in fact really words? Would be another one too. But you said, what's the what's the the word you threw out there? Etymologist. Dude and cop. Oh, etymologist. Etymologist. Yes. I once knew a guy who was an etymologist and an entomologist, and he could tell you the difference between ant and aunt. couple of thoughts as we get out of here, Bill. Uh, did you hear that Ben and Jerry's had to apologize for their Linsanity frozen yogurt? It had crushed up fortune cookies in it. That's in bad taste. Ironically, it sounds delicious. <laughs> uh, and the final thought, look, I'm glad you're on board with the love boat. If we can't get it to take in the States, we might have to ramp up a Canadian version. You know how cruises out of Vancouver, up around Alaska, and oh, into sure. territories into the Arctic. So I, we'll still go with Aaron Carpluck or Rachel McAdams as Julie, the cruise director, because they're both Canadian, all right? For the captain, who else but Martin Short is going to be my pick. Uh, Doc, Brent Butt. I keep trying to get Brent Butt another vehicle. Uh, the bartender, Rick Mercer, I think would be perfect in that role. <laughs> and as gopher, Ben Mulrooney. And that's The Gist of It for another week. The Gist of It is available every Wednesday afternoon through iTunes or at DonLandry.com. Dude, where are you from? Dude, where are you from?